Well, good morning, guys. Uh, I took some time this week to really think about, you know, you're standing in front of a group of guys and everybody's in a different place. So I wanted to really take the time to kind of encapsulate some of those areas in my life that I hope speaks to you guys. So I'm going to try to stay on script here because this way I, I won't run off in tangents. Uh, so I, uh, I wrote it down and uh, I figured let me, let me get started. Uh, as Jay said, uh, my name is Gene Allegard. I'm married to my high school sweetheart, uh, 43 years now. We dated for five years before that in high school. Uh, we've raised three wonderful, amazing sons. I have a beautiful daughter-in-law, uh, mother to our grandsons, uh, Carter and Brody, my favorite little boys. And now we found out she's pregnant uh, in July with a little girl. So we're like, we got all boys in our family, and this is awesome. So we're excited about that. So yeah, my wife and I have attended here for about 10 years now. And then prior to coming here, we were at another church for 25 years uh, after I accepted Christ. <laughs> So when Jay asked me to share my testimony and the events that led up to me accepting Christ at the age of 27, I thought about what topics in my life would I share. Hopefully men will be encouraged, lifted up, and see God's faithfulness. And I know there are guys that are here that are longtime followers of Jesus Christ. There's guys that are here that might be new to their faith in Jesus Christ. And then there are guys that are here, but maybe they have not placed their faith in Christ. And maybe they're seeking out religion and faith and wondering, how does it work? What does it mean to me? God, the creator of the universe, gives us a free will. We can either go on this journey of life, and Dave uh, talked about that last week about this journey. I look at Christianity as a journey, guys. It's a journey. Uh, we can either go on this journey of life leaving Christ out of it and us making all the decisions, or we can surrender our will to God and his son Jesus Christ to forge the way and guide us on this journey. So we have a choice. We can either go it alone or we can do it with him. So you can say the journey of my life definitely started without God, as we were never really a church-going family. And though I knew of God and believed in Him, I never knew really what it meant to be born again. I heard the term and saw some people that really didn't reflect you know, what I thought was a positive image sometimes of born-again Christians. So it really had no appeal to me whatsoever. So I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. A mother who was bipolar, in and out of psychiatric hospitals, uh, multiple suicide attempts, and a father who chose to separate himself from my mom and his five kids, having multiple affairs with numerous women. There was one night, I was about 8 to 10 years old, and mom was taken away in a straitjacket. She was having medication issues to the mental hospital, and our neighbor, Mrs. Hewitt, came over to stay with us that night. While, mom was watching TV, or while watching TV after mom was taken away, I remember sitting on the floor, scared and crying, when a preacher came on sharing a message about God's love and protection, how to place your faith in Jesus Christ. His name was Billy Graham. Though I was just a young boy and never really been to church, I remember praying to God that I needed him right now and to help me and my mom and my brothers and my sisters. So God answered my prayer, Mrs. Hewitt, our neighbor, who I believe was an angel sent to our family by God as she always looked in on us, took his kids to church occasionally with her family, and attended Sunday school. So growing up, we were all surviving on our own as teenagers, pretty much raising ourselves with absentee parents. One day after school, our parents called us in the living room and sat us on the couch, and you know what I'm going to tell you. We sat, and I was in ninth grade at the time. So my mom and dad stood before us, five kids, while mom proceeded to share the messy details of all my dad's adulterous affairs and that they were getting a divorce. So we were all scared and devastated, not showing what the future was going to hold. From that point on, my mother went into a deep, dark hole and became a prescription drug addict, with dad coming by once a week to drop off the money just so we could live. We truly were raising ourselves, making lunches, dinners, cleaning the house, taking care of our kid brother. 
So now I am a senior in high school, and I meet this pretty blonde girl who regularly cuts through the yards to her house on the next street over from me. I finally get up the courage to approach her and ask her out on a date to the local church fair, St. Mike's Fair in Levittown, and the rest was history. I just knew that this girl was the one for me at 16, right? How do you know that? But I did. <laughs> so while dating Beth, her family was Catholic, and though her dad was an alcoholic, an abusive one, uh, and never attended church, he insisted the family attend. So I went a few times, and it definitely did nothing for me, and I never really went again. So we dated five years, saving our money, got married, and bought our first house in Bristol. So with both of us not being able to go to college, I started night school for heating and air conditioning while working shift work at the local paper mill where my dad got us a job as a superintendent. He was a superintendent. So after finishing night school, I started my first job as an apprentice with my goal, hopefully, to start my own business one day. At age 25, my dream was realized, and we started Bucks County Heating and Air Conditioning Company. Life then was all about immersing myself in building the company, making money, and enjoying the good things in life as a result of this success. First seven years of our marriage, we never attended a church. It was pretty much a marriage without God. Beth, growing up, next door, lived next door to neighbors who were devout Christians, and I really liked them. I thought they were really normal couples, you know, normal people. You know, they call themselves born-again Christians, but I liked them. Uh, we were good friends, and we would get together occasionally as a married couple. They would always try to get us to attend their church, Washington Crossing, where they went. When we would go there to visit their house, they would give us a Christian track or a Bible that I would just throw up on my shelf. Every time I go home, another Bible, put them up on the shelf. Well, there was this one time that we visited, and upon leaving, Neil gave me a book called The Greatest is Love, right here. So it's a picture of a guy with his son on his shoulders. So that picture of the son on his shoulders, this is a New Testament, paraphrased New Testament. So I got home, and I looked over the book, and that picture stuck with me. That is always what I longed for, my dad spending time with me, which I was going to hopefully do one day with my kids. So I was five years in owning and operating our company, which was my main focus and priority in my life. Then in March of 87, Beth conceived with her first child, who was due uh, in December. So with a baby on the way, I knew I wanted to be the perfect father. I never wanted to repeat the mistakes of my father. So I didn't know how I was going to do that, other than sheer willpower and determination. So here's the point in our life where God showed up in a powerful way. That's five months pregnant now. And her former neighbors that we came to really like and love approached us and invited us to attend a week-long Christian conference called the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. It was in Philadelphia. It was taught by Bill Gothard at the Civic Center in Philadelphia. <clears throat> First reaction was, no way. I was in my busiest time of the year. Let's face it, in the air conditioning business, you make your money three months out of the year. Just like Regan's water rice, same thing. You gotta, we got a window, you got to make the money. So, so he invited me to come to this conference, and I knew I couldn't really go to it because I had my business to run, uh, a lot of responsibilities, and uh, kind of gave him an excuse that not interested. Well, this friend said to me, this conference will make you a better father, a husband, and a businessman. He knew what push, buttons to push. Then I recalled that book with the father and the son on his shoulder, and thought, I want to be that dad. So after much thought and discussions with Beth, who is now five months pregnant, and a little coercion from our friend who said, I'll even pay for you for the go to the seminar. It was 35 bucks. I'm like, it's not the money, Neil. You know, uh, we finally said yes, and we decided to go. It was a new experience. 
you know, never having been in church, and then you show up to the Civic Center with all these religious people, you know, and there's Catholics, there's nuns, there's all kinds of people, so I felt safe, you know, that, okay, they're not a bunch of wax. It's pretty normal people looking here. I'm okay. Uh, so then uh, I hope you're seeing that uh, even though we make decisions to go it alone in life and live a godless life, God, who loves his children so much, wants to be part of that journey and works toward that end, and that's what he's doing. I can see it right now. I can see things are starting to happen. So we're attending the conference, and about midweek of the conference, Bill Gothard spoke on the sins of the Father being passed on to future generations. That struck a chord in me. And I wanted to know more about what the Bible had to say about that, about life, about family. So Beth was feeling a little bit uncomfortable about being, you know, being Catholic, I think, and someone's preaching from the Bible. Uh, back then in her church, it was Latin masses, you know, so uh, people singing songs and and on the way home, she said, when I said, you know what, I don't think I'm going to go the rest of the week. That's really not for me. Okay. <clears throat> so I knew I had to be there. I could feel that God was working on my heart, and I was eager to see what God's plan for me and my family was. So I stuck with it. And I attended the rest of the seminar myself, and with Best Neighbor's family, they all went, and I felt this had to make me a better dad and a husband and a person. Halfway through the talk, Bill Gothard spoke on the sins of the Father. In the scriptures, Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the children to the third and fourth generation. Well, that spoke to me so profoundly. That was it. I knew I did not want my father's sins being passed on to me and to my children and their children, and the only way for that to happen was if I could see that if you put your faith in this Jesus Christ. So we're now at the final day of the conference, and it's decision time. Sort of like a Billy Graham thing, right? <laughs> Bill Gothard gave the salvation message of repentance and instructions how to personally invite Jesus Christ into your life. So he read a sampling of scriptures, which I'll read a few of them. And we all know these. This is sort of like the Roman road. You go down to salvation. Three, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. 3.23, Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love for us, and that we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9.13, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then the last one was Acts 16.30 and 31. And this was about that Philippian jailer when, when the angels opened up the jails. And they were all scared to death. It was like, oh, what happened here, you know? And uh, So... He goes up to Paul and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So I knew by listening to the word of God this whole week that I needed to believe in God's plan of salvation. So there's really no hesitation for me. I knew I was there for this moment. I knew by going down to have someone pray with me to receive Jesus Christ into my life that it was God's plan and timing for my life at that time. So I went forward. I prayed for repentance of my sins and I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me acknowledging him as, my, as God's only son to come into my life as uh, my Lord and my Savior. I was so excited and knew that decision was going to change my life. I felt now I had the power of God within me to help make me the best dad and husband and businessman I could be. Here was my dilemma. Now how was I going to leave this life-changing conference and go home and tell my wife I just accepted Jesus Christ into my life and life as we knew it was about to change? I didn't tell her for seven months. So our first son, Ryan, is born, and what an unbelievable joy it was becoming a father. So 
So as soon as he was born, I held him. I quietly prayed of him. Beth didn't know that I'm a Christian. And I remember in that, in that delivery room, and I'm holding this little baby. And I consecrated him to the Lord, and I asked God to bless him and guide me as to be the father that God wanted me to be to him. So after he was born, we naturally go to our Catholic church, you know, because that's what Beth knew. And we had our son christened. And I remember the priest having a meeting with him before the christening. And he commented to me that probably once Ryan is christened, you probably won't be back here again. He was right. I wasn't. And I wasn't going back there again. One with the comment, second with just the whole attitude thing. I'm like, nah, I'm not going back. So we bring him home. We start our new life as parents, unbeknownst to Beth that I'm a closet Christian. So that all changed one night when Beth went out for a girl's night out and I was babysitting her son. Normally I would read my Bible when she went, when, when Ryan would go to sleep. Then I would put my Bible away before she walked in. <clears throat> Just don't want to deal with it, I guess. Well, this night I decided it was time to tell her my conversion. So she walks in and she asks, what am I reading? And I told her the Bible. Then proceeded to tell her that at Bill Gothard, I also accepted Jesus Christ into my life. And I've been studying the Bible since then. Well, she went off, just like I expected. Things like, oh no, now you're going to be one of them holy rollers or Bible thumpers or whatever. I'm like, well, God who says in his word in Luke 12, 11, 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And he did. I responded, if being a Christian makes me a better husband and a better father, what's wrong with that? She couldn't say anything to that. Then proceeded to say, I also feel that we need to start attending church as a family and want us to attend her neighbor's church at Washington Crossing this Sunday where we were there for 25 years. While attending Washington Crossing United Methodist Church while I was there, I was asked by the pastor to be the lay leader. I don't know if you guys know what that is. That's sort of like assistant pastor when you don't have a pastor because you don't have the money. You know, so I was like the lay leader and I'm a new believer. Like, what did this guy do? Does he know like I'm a, like a new believer? I'm off script a little bit. I go, to, I go to lunch with Jack Faulkner, who was the lay leader at the time. I'm a new believer. We go to the Washington Crossing Inn to have lunch. He's telling me all about the roles of a lay leader. And then he goes and he prays over lunch. I'm thinking, what? He's praying in public in front of these people? They're going to see us? That's how new I was. I'm thinking. And that, boy, I'll tell you what. That was, uh, that was a learning experience for me. But, but God taught me. You know, so being the lay leader was sort of like a baptism by fire as a Christian. So, because I was the contact between the congregation and the pastor, and occasionally being asked on emergencies, like the morning of, to deliver the sermon. And I did that a few times. Scared to death. Uh, So I am blessed that uh, a year into being at the church, that we went the following year, and we led 50 people from our church and the pastor to go back to the Institute of U Conflict for that conference. It was at that conference that my wife Beth accepted Jesus as Lord. So there came a time when our pastor preached on baptism, and we were just talking about this this morning, uh, and I decided I would get baptized in the Delaware River at Washington's Crossing at Easter time. And yeah, the water is freezing. <laughs> so you picture this. A dozen people at the river's edge, all in white flowing robes, walking out into the river and being baptized with onlookers from the bridge above above, and friends and family looking on from the banks of the river. They thought we were probably nuts. But you know what? I didn't care. You know, I knew God. This was all part of my, my, my new walk. So that day was my coming out as a follower of Jesus Christ and truly experiencing washing my sins down the river in this symbolic act.
that was that was big. You know, up in that point, I really never shared my faith at work with my company, uh, a lot with my wife. But then that changed. So I really, when I did that, when I got baptized, it really was like coming out of the water, and it was sort of like, man, the Holy Spirit just like came, you know, and I could feel like all that crap was going down the river. That was symbolic to me, the, the whole river coming out of the water, the current taking my sins away. Never forget that. So I could feel the Holy Spirit filling me in God's power to begin this new journey as a child. There have been numerous times in my life that have tested me and put me on my knees and broken me, as with you guys here. And there are also way too many times to count of answered prayer and jubilation. The lower times in my life where God was there, even though sometimes I didn't think so. As a business owner and a servant leader, as a new Christian and a business owner, God empowered me to be bold about my faith, and I announced to my entire company about my conversion to Christianity, how things were going to change. I immediately changed my language. I dropped the four-letter words, cursing at my guys. You know, it was in construction. You know, I was normal. Uh, And one of the things that really uh, surprised my company was we started to pray before our staff meetings, Uh, and we started morning Bible studies at work. So, you guys know construction? Get a bunch of construction guys in the room and say, all right, guys, before we have this meeting, I'm going to pray for us, right? <laughs> and they thought, oh, my God, Gene has lost it, you know? Uh, but it was also very cool because during that time, after those meetings, one of the guys would come up and say, hey, Gene, I can see you kind of got this relationship with God. Uh, can I talk to you about my marriage? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of stories came out of that. Uh, one amazing story of my general manager, Rich, he was a philosophy major with too many degrees uh, and pretty much an agnostic, maybe atheistic, atheist, but more agnostic. So Rich believed Christianity was just a crutch for weak people. I gave him a book one time to read, thinking, well, kind of like, you know, push it out there and let him read it. I'm telling you, by the week, came back Monday with this thesis he wrote about it, tearing it up. <laughs> I'm like, you know, about Christianity. And I'm like, Rich, I didn't need a thesis on the book. I just gave it to you. Here, just read it. You know, so those are the kind of conversations we had. Uh, I wanted really nothing to do with it. So even though we had a Bible study in my office in the morning, he didn't attend. So over time, with him experiencing what was happening in our company and repeated discussions about how Christ was working in my life, he was invited by my brother to attend a full gospel men's breakfast. You guys know what a full gospel breakfast is? It is a Holy Spirit-filled breakfast you know when I, and I've been to them so I'm thinking whoa okay rich the philosopher the intellectual the atheist or agnostic whatever he was so uh, so he comes in Monday morning and he walks in my office and he closes the door he proceeds to tell me in his words how this spirit of God got him out of his seat to go forward and have this big african-american ex-con lead him in prayer to receive Jesus Christ go figure you know, an intellectual guy that's almost a Ph.D. and some big ex-con leads him to Christ. That's God, guys. You know, I couldn't do it, but we planted the seed. That guy watered it and got fed. So, anyway, Rich was overflowing, and I feel he truly had experienced God's conversion in his life. So he now started attending our company Bible study. I'm going to go off script a little bit. I see my buddy back there, Rich Feeney. Also, one of the things that we were, was happening in the business world, there was an organization called FCCI, Fellowship of Companies for Christ International. It was a ministry created for CEOs, owners of companies, where they could all get together and they could relate on issues dealing with the running of their company. 
So Rich felt led to, you know, we had a, his Mike Spitzfilofi hoagies way back when. And uh, it was really a, a, a special time. It was a time where guys could bring other businesses, uh, businessmen, non-believers, uh, to another organization of guys that uh, were Christian businessmen. It was really awesome. There was so, there's so many stories to tell, I can't even begin. Uh, but there was one where Reg McKinstry, uh, MBA kind of guy, very sharp businessman, Catholic, and uh, we're talking and he's listening and, you know, after weeks and weeks and weeks and, you know, he's, uh, you know, we were teaching on business by the book, you know, uh, you know, ethics and business and so forth. And, he, and I remember we sat down in the booth at Mike Smith's Foley of the Hoagies. And he sat across from me in his suit and, you know, very, very businesslike, said, you know what? I want what you guys have here. How do I get that? How do I accept Christ? And we walked through the scriptures, just enough, sort of like the Roman road, just share that with him. And he just, he just started to tear up and cry. And he said, I said, so do you want me to pray with you right now? He said, yeah. And we did. I can't, I'll bet you it's 30 years ago now. John Danku, who's another good old friend from Washington Crossing, he said, you know, he said, I ran into Reg McKinstry. We're still friends today. And he is still a committed Christian, walking the walk. And it was really as a result of, God's faithfulness in businessmen like Rich and creating that environment we, that we could meet together and we could share and, you know, and teach God's word. It's awesome. So Rich, that was awesome. So special memories from when we used to do that. So another example, uh, there was a message for every man in this room regardless of race. During my walk with Christ, I would get up in the morning early and uh, before I went into the office, I listened to Christian pastors, David Jeremiah, David Hawking, whatever because uh, uh, I felt that they spoke to me. Well, there was one of those pastors. Uh, his name was David Hawking. Uh, he was a pastor for 10 years over Calvary Church of Santa Ana. With over 4,500 members, he was a man's man to me. 51, married with three kids. Uh, well, in 1992, he wasn't on the radio that morning. I wonder, oh, man, what happened? Where's my guy? I can't, I don't, he's not there. Well, we didn't have the internet like we do today, but I virtually found out that he had an affair with a woman and he was counseling in the church. So he resigned at the end of his ministry and also his whole radio ministry, his whole church. Months later, he was speaking at Calvary Chapel in Philadelphia, and there was a men's retreat, and I attended. So he was asked, how did a man rooted in the word of God get involved in an affair? His response was, men, let me tell you this. Don't kid yourself and say, it will never happen to me. Because I'm thinking, this guy's like a pillar of God. This guy's amazing. Satan is always prowling, looking for a chink in your armor. A chink is defined as a weak spot or an area of vulnerability. He said, I cracked that door open just enough for Satan to enter. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded and be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. After, after David Hawk, or, you know, Pastor Hawking, or David Hawking has said that he cracked the door open, that can also be translated today to looking at something on your computer that maybe you think is innocent, no big deal. Well, it is a big deal to God. And he offers a way out. Walk away from it before it draws you in. Just as Joseph in the Bible knew that he needed just to run when his employer, Potiphar's wife, tried to come on to him, and he knew he had one choice, get out of there. Save his reputation. 
So I just, just put down, we need to heed the same advice. When put in a position that if we went ahead with it, it would destroy our reputation and our family. I remember being on a business trip once. I'll go scripting again. I was on a business trip and uh, relatively new believer. A couple times I was on different business trips. And relatively new believer. We land at the airport, four business owners. We get in the car. We're in Dallas. First, thing, the first place they want to hit is a strip joint. Okay. Um, didn't think anything of it. I did think some of it. Not my choice. Not where I want to go. But I got four guys in the car. We're all business guys. I know all these guys. They don't know I'm a Christian. So we went. And I'll never forget. I sat there, and I was humiliated before God. I sat there and said to myself, I will never, ever step foot in another place like this ever again. Forgive me, Lord, for doing this. And I didn't. That was it. It was like God was showing me. Another business trip. We go on. And this has to do with drinking too much and making bad choices. So we go on a business trip, and there were four of us, two younger guys, two younger married guys. I was probably a younger married guy as well, but then there was an older married guy as well. So the four of us. So I'm in a room with one young guy, and my buddy's room with his young guy. I get a knock on the door like 2 in the morning, and here this guy comes to my door and says, Gene, can I room with you? The guys came back with girls on their arms. They need my room. Okay. Both those guys are married. I knew them. So Rich and Wayne, they had their affair with that girl last night. They were drunk as skunks. They brought the girls back to their room. I guarantee you, they were, if they had not been drunk, they probably wouldn't have made that same decision. So there are times in our life that we just need to make tough choices to either withdraw from that and not do it because the consequences can be devastating. So I want to talk about the area of family and forgiveness. We all have those issues, right? I have a twin brother, Rich. He accepted Christ a few years after I did when he was married to his second wife, Nancy. His life choices led him to be married four times, and as a result, we became very distant. He would curse me out on the phone when I would try to talk to him or counsel with him or give him advice. He certainly didn't want any of that. Uh, Be disrespectful (laughs) to Beth. Uh, And then I just finally said, you know what? I really don't want you in my life anymore. I really don't. Don't call me. I won't call you. You don't call me. And we didn't for years. But that was like a part of me. I don't know if you know, but twins are like attached in some supernatural way. I don't know how, but but I do love that guy. Man, I hated his life. I hated what he was doing. You know, how he was hurting his wives and his children. Uh, so that lasted for years until uh, God really convicted me two years ago that I was to forgive him. Bible says we're supposed to forgive our brother how many times? Once, twice, 70 times 7. So that means infinitely. Always supposed to forgive him. So, so one day I called him and got here our relationship on the phone. Today he's my best friend and we get along so well. I feel blessed to have him back in my life. I call him all the time. We talk on the phone. I know my brother's wife, Lee, has something to do with that. She's a committed Christian. Wonderful lady. And uh, I know she's definitely had an impact on my brother's life and she's been praying as well. God's faithfulness to business failure. I heard that with Davis last week in the pulpit, and I thought, wow, that's tough to share. You know, when you almost lose your home or, you know, you lose your business or whatever. We had built a family business for 15 years. We employed about 35 or so people operating as a Christian company. Well, that did not preclude us from trials that we faced. 1990, our country entered into a recession that resulted in 10% interest rates and a bad economy. It was a perfect storm. We lost significant-sized contracts due to no financing. 
banks tightening their grip on credit lines, our oil company was losing money, and we had too much debt. 1993, I was forced to sell our companies. We almost filed bankruptcy, but by the grace of God, we did not. And we were spared a home so we could raise our boys. This was, without a doubt, the most depressed I was ever in my life. I even thought about taking it, just, just a couple times. I worked 15 years to build a company, and one day it's all over, gone, and you're left with nothing and having to start over. But looking back, I was so faithful in companies that hired me and eventually launched me into a national role as a director for a publicly traded energy company in 2004 that changed my life and my career. 2012, that same company that was my dream job, was forced by the SEC to close their doors. We were all let go because of one man's actions, one man's decisions that he made about moving financials around put a company that we took from nothing to $150 million, put us out of business because the SEC came in and shut us down. So I'm thinking, okay, 58 years old, 58 years young and unemployed. So it was hard to see how God was in all this, but he definitely was. Sometimes you don't think so, right? When those things come our way, we think, where's God now? Why is he allowing this? I'm a Christian. I'm on my knees. I pray. I, I think I do all the right things as a Christian. How can you let this happen to me? It was hard to see how God was in all of it, but he was. So my son Jeff, who just got home from graduating college, his major was entrepreneurship, was home when I got the call. I'll never forget. I came downstairs and I told him, I said, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. I just got let go from uh, Lime Energy. And he put his shoulders, he put his arms square on my shoulder and he looked at me now and I said, Dad, whatever you want to do, I'm with you. You want to start up a company, I'm in. You just tell me what you want to do. Whoa. That blew me away. I wasn't thinking, do I really want to start a company again? I just went through that and sold one. I really want to start up a company again and thinking the money, the cost, the work, the effort. I could just sail away into Fortune 500 company, make a nice six-figure salary, call it a day, and retire. But how do you turn your son away when you said, Dad, I'd like to start a business with you? So we put a plan together, and we started Allegate Energy, providing home energy audits and making homes more energy efficient and comfortable. Six months into our new venture, my middle son, Matthew, who was working for a law firm on Wall Street, he was a finance guy, came over the weekend, and we all sat down. He said, Dad, I want to quit my job at the firm, and I want to work with you guys. Another wow. So I told him, I said, we had no way we could match his salary from the firm. Uh, and his response was, Dad, you don't have to pay me. I have enough. Let's just spend this year building the company and see where we are. I'm like, okay, let's do it. So he rented this place out in Manhattan, moved in with us, and now we're all working together and living together, building a brand-new company. What a joy it was teaching the business, teaching what I've learned, mistakes I've made. It was the most fun I've ever had in my career, being there with my sons Jeffrey and Matt, coffee in the morning, putting our plan together for the day, and then working during the day with the tools. So, yeah, I put the tools back on at 58, putting heating and air conditioning in, doing energy audits, sealing attics, crawling around attics. It was not fun, guys. I, I have to say, I love working with my boys. That was not fun to me. So, but it was a joy working with them. So it was the most fun that I ever had, and, and, and I guess because I could see that they were both learning what it took to start a company, and then we had to reinvent it because the funding that we were getting from the state to do energy audits where they paid us to do the audits, that dried up. So all of a sudden we're like, boys, we don't have a company. We don't have a business. We have no way of, we have no revenue. We either need to go get jobs or we need to figure out what we're going to do. We all sat down, and those boys said, we're going to reinvent the company. We're, we're in this, Dad. We're going to make this thing work. And they did. 
So, so then they were taken to the next level and growing the company. So they continued to build a residential home energy audit business. I went in a different direction of consulting. I was too old to old guys. I was too old to be hustling up in attics and doing all that. So I went in the direction of consulting for my former customers that I used to work for, like Johnson Controls and Siemens and Honeywell. I was an energy consultant. I developed projects for them. I helped them put concepts together for hospitals, military facilities, and so forth. So I was kind of like the idea guy. So eventually the team at Johnson Controls that I was subcontracting for, they all quit. <clears throat> they all quit, and then they started a satellite company for engineering and media. So then they brought me on to consult for them, and then I kind of found an opportunity to consult, bring them on board, and so forth. So after going back and forth for a while, they, we all sat down, and I know these guys really well. And, you know, so they said, Dad, or Gene, why don't, why don't you just come work for us? I said, guys, it's all about the money. I'll be honest. I said, here I am. I'm 62, you know, and, I, you know, they said, well, do you got five years in you? I said, depend. What's the package look like, right? What's the money look like? So they put together a package. I mean, a really attractive package with everything in it. And so I accepted it. And I'm there now, and I absolutely love it. We're like, we have something new. No, it's a 100-year-old engineering firm out of North Dakota and Minnesota. You know, we're, uh, we're starting something new down here in the Mid-Atlantic, and it's awesome. So God's really good. He really blessed me. So anyway, I gave the company over to my two sons, and now they have done a terrific job creating a business model that allowed them now to start up a business venture in California. Uh, and they traveled back and forth to Switzerland, Italy, spent time with their girlfriends. They have a nice life. Those boys. Looking back, uh, had I not lost my company, it would have never eventually led me down that path to having the opportunity for my boys and me to go into business together and set them on a trajectory for greater successes in their own lives. So it's really cool to see now that you know, I have two sons that are businessmen now, and they're doing their own thing, and they're doing it well, and they're creating a nice little business model for themselves. So God is absolutely faithful and amazing, no doubt. Talk about children. So God has blessed me with three amazing sons who are all my very best friends, and they really are. During their years growing up, there were many times where we experienced real crisis and challenges as we all have raising children. Matthew was 10 years old when, when he was t 10, he was sent home from school with a stomachache that, that day. The pain that night grew more intense, and we took him to St. Mary's. But they told us it's probably a stomach virus, and they would monitor him overnight. And So our neighbor watched Ryan, and we stayed in, over in the hospital room that night. We could hear he was in severe pain, and the doctors told us, if it was anything that requires surgery, we'll send him to the children's hospital. Okay. Well, by now, the blizzard of 1996 is approaching. And we were sailing into the hospital until they find out what is wrong with our Matthew while our family and friends are watching Ryan. For two days, no x-rays. Until they finally decide to, and doctor comes into our room, shares the results with me and Beth. Matt's laying right there in bed with us, and he proceeds to tell us there's a mass in his abdominal cavity, and it could be cancer, and they need to operate now. What? You said he went from a stomach virus, and now you're saying it could be cancer? And you want to operate at St. Mary's on my son in a snowstorm when you have limited resources? No oncologist? Are you kidding me? So anyway, they started. They sat in front of a son who obviously he starts crying. Uh, we exit the room right away with the doctor, and I really scorned him for his poor bedside manner. And then proceeded to tell him that we want our son transferred to Children's Hospital now. Whatever you got to do, you are not operating on my son. So by now the blizzard is in full effect and all the highways have been declared a state of emergency and all roads are closed and the hospital is understaffed and we know it. 
our dear friend and Christian brother, this is how God works in our lives. We don't see it at the time, but man, we're praying fervently, and we got our small group Bible studies and people praying. Christian anesthesiologist, who was the assistant, John was a good friend and brother. Our kids went to Christian school together. Uh, there was a nurse that came into our room, and she could see we're reading our Bible, just pouring into the Psalms and getting comfort. And uh, both of them, in a very nice way, even though they couldn't come right out and tell us directly, you're making the right decision by transferring your son. Okay. He's, they're definitely not going to operate on him. So we're determined that that hospital was not going to operate on our son, and we pray for God's peace and his confirmation and protection over Matt, who we felt he was slipping away. He was getting real quiet. and he was So, so we determined that he wasn't going to operate. The doctor at St. Mary told me that he will try to get one of the children's hospitals to come out, but you could be risking your son's life by transporting him. So they threw that out there. So they got a hold of St. Christopher's, and even though we were in the middle of a blizzard, they did send out a transport team that night. Two hours later, 10 o'clock at night, we get a call. Ambulance was stuck. They were forced to turn around. That left us with Children's Hospital. I asked them to call. We spoke to them on the phone. They told me, just let them, and the, this, now Children's is saying, just let them operate. It's too serious. Just let them operate on your son. You know, so we're sitting there, and, and I told him, I said, look, doctor, no disrespect to the doctor from St. Mary's who's sitting right next to me. This hospital will not operate on my son. So tell us what we need to do until you can get here. So it was really So then he agreed and they ordered the doctor how to stabilize Matt for the night till their team showed up first thing in the morning. And they immediately put a tube in my son's stomach and they pump it out as well as other procedures to get him through the night. Praise God, Matt was quiet all night, not wrenching in pain. 8 a.m. and then rushes to transport team who were led by a police escort from Children's Hospital and immediately start firing off orders to the medical staff to get this kid out of here. It was amazing. It was like, whoa. I, I, it's like, it's just like a flood of relief came over. It's like, okay, he's now in good hands. God, you got him. <clears throat> so we were followed by the ambulance, led by police escort down 95 to the hospital, and we were the only vehicles on 95 that morning. We arrived at the hospital to greet the team of doctors who were operating on Matt and told us that it was most likely a ruptured appendix, maybe a couple hours surgery. Five hours later, surgeon and her team, we see them walking down the corridor to us, and we're thinking the worst. We're thinking we lost him. The surgeon told us that he was recovering, but it wasn't his appendix. It was a birth defect. That part of the umbilical cord was left behind and strangled off his intestines, and he was actually being poisoned. Over the course of the last several days, he was being poisoned by the fluid backing up into his abdomen, and they said he was close to death. There was no way that St. Mary's would have had child anesthesiologists and surgeons who had the experience with this very rare occurrence to perform that delicate surgery. So we made the right call that, and God was there to bless us for that. So we were so blessed for God's guidance and directing us to trust in him for our son's outcome. Then there's the story of our son, Ryan. Ryan was 16. You guys can probably relate to this with some of your teenagers. He was hanging with the wrong crowd, got into smoking marijuana. We found out and we confronted them. There, me, Beth, and her son were in their kitchen. We confronted them about it, uh, very emotional. We were hugging, crying. And I told Ryan that we're going to love him through this just as God loved us. Just as he gave us his unconditional love, we're going to do it to you. We'll get you through this. By God's grace, we did. We got him through it through those years, and he got into University of Pittsburgh, majored in business. Quick story, Ryan is dating a girl all through college, and they break up a few months before he has to graduate. He comes home from college dealing with a breakup. 
And at that time, we had our, base, our computer fixed up. There was a bit, the computer was in the basement. We didn't have laptops back then. And I go down there, and I hear he's crying. And I go up to him, and he's upset, obviously, about this. And I told my son, Ryan, I remember back when you, were, when you were a young boy, we used to kneel by your bed every night, and we'd say, you know, you know we're, we're praying that God's going to put that, that woman in your life someday, a perfect woman that he's got created just for you. He said, yeah, I remember that, Dad. I said, well, don't hang on to that. God's still going to do that. He returns back to college preparing for his exams, and he meets Amanda a month before he's ready to leave Pittsburgh and come back home. He goes on to be his amazing wife, and yes, a woman who came to faith while they were married. Today, our oldest son, Ryan, is a successful businessman, terrific father to our grandbabies, wonderful husband to his beautiful wife, Amanda, who both worship at a tremendous spirit-filled church and have Bible studies in their home. God is good. So with Christ by our side, we work through other life situations that melded our family into the family we have today, built on prayer and God's word, speaking into our my boys' lives and his matchless grace. It's 2005. We're celebrating 30 years anniversary, my wife and I. She just turned 50. And we were at a perfect stage in our life. Couldn't have been better. With her birthday on June 24th, I surprised her with a 50th birthday party, surprise 50th birthday party, of all of our closest friends and family. It was a day that we'll always remember. We planned a 10-day trip to Costa Rica with our other friends who were also celebrating their 30th. But before leaving, Beth was due for her routine mammogram. Thinking nothing of it. It's routine, right? That was until Beth received the phone call saying that they detected a mass. She needed to come in right away. I mean, 14 years is still tough. So anyway, uh, I immediately went to prayer for God to uh, guide me and to keep Beth hopeful and keep her from crawling into a hole and being depressed. It was evident right away that God was with us, and we got an appointment right away for a second consult with the best breast, breast, best breast cancer surgeon around, who was Beth Dupree. She would have only been booked for months. She had an appointment right away for us. We affectionately call her Bethy now. She was the most loving and compassionate doctor we ever met and remains today our dearest friend. We scheduled Beth for a progressive breast cancer surgery. In the next several months, during the course of multiple surgeries, I became her caregiver, and I loved her in every minute of it. After her initial surgery, I remember she came out of the shower, and she fell into my arms crying that she'll never be beautiful again. Well, after a year after her surgery, we did make that trip, and we went to Curacao on our second honeymoon, and we celebrated life. Five years later, now she's vacationing with her girlfriend at her home in Filton Head, which we no longer have, and fell immediately sick, and she was flown home right away. I happened to be flying back from a business trip, and I was at the airport right at that time when she was getting off the plane. They wheeled her out of the jetway, and I was terrified. I looked at her and said, she's really sick. How did they even let her on the plane? We immediately went from there right to the hospital. I checked her in. For seven days, they ran tests. They couldn't put a handle on why she was getting progressively sicker every day. I was never more scared than I felt I might lose her at that time more so when she got the cancer. Finally, our neighbor, who was a nurse at St. Mary's, saw what was going on, recommended a doctor to oversee all the other doctors working on my wife, from the oncologist to plastic surgeons, respiratory infectious disease, and so on. Now we started to get answers, and we found out that she had contracted a deadly bacterium in her breast implants due to the lack of blood flow. Her plastic surgeon was advocating to, move, to remove both her breasts again uh, and take the implants out and to deal with the bacterium, meaning she would never have implants installed again. So I called another plastic surgeon who we knew, who we were friends with, him and his wife, to come to the hospital for a consult. And, you know, this is where God gives us that discerning spirit where we feel it's not right. And you know that I can't 
I won't let that happen to her. You know, I know what it would do to her emotionally, you know, that I can't let that happen. So Bill came to the hospital, Bill Scarlett, and he conferred with the other doctors, and they agreed to hold off on that aggressive surgery until they had more information. While they were waiting on the results for the type of bacterium that she had and how to treat it, now Beth developed pneumonia. And one of her lungs collapsed, requiring immediate surgery. So once the surgery was done, all the surgeons got together and prescribed a plan as laid out by the infectious disease doctor to administer the drugs, which over the course of a week started to kill off the bacterium, and she didn't need to have her breast removed again. I'm so thrilled to say that Beth today is 14 years cancer-free and has the same beautiful spirit she had before breast cancer. She's always been beautiful, but, but God gave her that spirit back in her to make her feel beautiful. I can say unequivocally, my life and my family's would not look like it does today if I had not made that decision. 27 years of age, they asked Jesus into my life and to guide me and to be with me. Early on, I said my driving force to become a Christian started out as being one that I would hopefully not repeat the sins of my dad, but it became so much more. Well, I am so thankful that God has kept me faithful to my wife all these years, and that chain of adultery has been broken. My dad and his wife, they went on to accept Christ back in Michigan where they lived. Uh, and his wife just recently passed away, but my dad's a very committed Christian. So, guys, that's my life. So I'll try to share with you hopefully things that will make you look back and whether you're in a certain situation, decision time, you're in a challenge, you're in a medical challenge, whatever it is, know that God's faithful. We may not see it. It may not surface till years later where you'll look back at your life and say, I thought you weren't there. But what's his footprints in this answer? No, I was carrying you. And he was. And he was carrying us. Sometimes I didn't think so. Sometimes I thought he abandoned me. Sometimes I thought he walked away and there's nowhere to be found. And maybe I did something. Maybe my life's not as Christian as I thought it was. Or maybe I wasn't honoring him like I thought I was. I don't know. But I know one thing, that God is faithful. And uh, if you haven't accepted Christ, it's very simple to do that. Just repent. Ask God to forgive you. Put him in your life. Say, God, I need you. Acknowledge him as son of God. Believe that he is the risen Savior. And if you do that, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you that you've given us this church, you've given us faithful men, you know, that we can model our lives after, and I have over the years. And I just hope that through the sharing of your presence and your evidence in my life and different circumstances, that it will speak into the lives of others. And they'll be able to share it maybe with someone else and be a source of encouragement. So we give you praise and thanks. Thanks for your, again, being here with us this morning. Thank you for Jay and Dave and our pastors. Thank you that we have this church that we can be here to minister and to be ministered to. So we ask your blessing upon the rest of this day and the week ahead as we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.